You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. You work really hard to offer engaging and worthwhile yoga classes. Your regular students give you positive feedback, and they seem to absolutely love the way you teach. But when new people come, they rarely return. What is going on? Hello, yoga teacher. In today's episode, we're going to dive into some of the reasons that new students might not be coming back to your classes and some solutions for shifting that pattern. I have definitely been there. The first yoga class I had in a studio had two regular students for the first six months. It was so confusing to me because those two students loved my class so much, but new people who dropped in rarely, if ever, returned. Over time, that class did build into a thriving community of regulars, but I had a lot of moments of second guessing myself before that happened, and it took a long time. I want you to build your classes faster than I did. I wish I'd had a big sister yoga teacher back then to tell me what I'm going to tell you today. You can be the most incredible yoga teacher in the world, and you'll still not be the right teacher for everyone. But even people who love your class might not return for a variety of reasons that have nothing to do with you as a teacher. Some of them include they were visiting from out of town and they aren't able to attend regularly. They were deviating from their normal routine and your class is not at a day or time that they can regularly attend. Perhaps they struggle with consistency in general and are always spotty with attendance at yoga classes. I can't tell you how many students I have had who at the end of class told me, wow, I love that class so much. I'm going to be back next week. And I never saw them again. I don't think that they were lying. I think that they were just struggling with their own ability to commit. Sometimes people intend to come back, but something happened in their lives It knocks them off track, and by the time they recover, they forget all about it. You know, our classes are so important to us. They're so big in our lives, but they're not quite as big for most of our students. And another possibility is that they were taking advantage of a free or a low-cost introductory offer and never had any intention of paying full price, sometimes just because they actually can't afford it. So these are not the only reasons that people don't return to a yoga class, but in the absence of other information, it's really helpful to remember so that we don't get too caught up in our own head about it. When we focus too much on the people who aren't coming back, it can harm our ability to help the students who are showing up consistently, and they are really the ones we need to focus on. So if it wasn't simply circumstances, and a new student made the conscious choice not to return to your classes, there are two other basic possibilities. One is that they just aren't a good fit for what you're offering, and the other is that you made them uncomfortable without realizing it. I'm going to address the most common ways that yoga teachers make their students feel uncomfortable first, because these can be a really quick fix once you're aware of them. 
Then I'll spend the rest of the episode talking about how to make sure that the advertising for your class is as accurate as possible so it's more likely to attract the people who want what you're offering. There are some things that yoga teachers do, especially when they're new and nervous, that affect the experience of their students in a negative way. And if people feel uncomfortable in your class, they're probably not going to come back. I'll go over some of the most common ones. And as you listen, I'd love for you to check in and see if one or more of these resonate as a likely scenario. If you're unsure, then you could ask some of your regular students for honest feedback on this topic. They won't be able to necessarily give you the perspective from the people who aren't coming back, but they may have something helpful to offer. Ask yourself if it's possible that you're doing one or more of the following things. Being so concerned with pleasing everyone that it feels awkward or uncomfortable. Trying so hard to accommodate everyone and even people who aren't there that the practice feels disjointed. This happens when yoga teachers try to anticipate possible injuries and problems that nobody's told them that they have. And so the whole class is like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Another one is an over-focus on creativity, which can be confusing to students, especially students who are a little bit newer. If they feel like they can't follow you or they feel like they can't do like 70% of the class, they're not going to feel like they're in the right place. If you touch your students, that's another thing. Everybody's different. Everybody has a different response to touch. So some people might have a strong reaction to being touched, even if you ask for permission. So it is possible that even the best intentioned touch made someone feel uncomfortable. And finally, it's possible that you used language that made them feel excluded or shamed, such as assuming gender, or perhaps making disparaging remarks about your own body when to them, your body looks like something to aspire to. I mention these different possibilities, not because I want you to second guess everything you say, but if you have a tendency to do one or more of these things and you don't know about it, it's really helpful to get a clue. It's really important to understand if you're making people feel uncomfortable in your class. If you're not comfortable asking your students if you do these things, then you might ask another yoga teacher to attend your class and give you some feedback. That can be really helpful also. As long as the person is capable of sharing feedback in a way that's kind and supportive. So if you do ask somebody to come to your class to give you feedback about your teaching, be thoughtful about it and make sure that it's somebody who you really respect. That doesn't mean that they need to have more experience than you, but you need to trust their integrity as a person. Aside from the possibilities above, and possibly in addition to them, the biggest reason that people aren't returning to your classes is that they're not the right fit for what you're teaching. It doesn't match what they're looking for. Yoga students often have a pretty clear picture of what they want to get out of a class, and if the class you taught didn't line up with their priorities, they probably won't come back. 
Reality is most people think they know what the word yoga means, and most people have a very narrow understanding of it. If someone is coming to your class for stress relief and you gave them a butt kicking instead, they probably won't come back. Not because your class wasn't good, but it wasn't a fit for them. If someone is coming in for exercise and you spend the first 10 minutes on a Dharma talk, they probably won't come back. Not because you weren't saying something really important, but it didn't fit the reason that they got in their car and showed up to class. I've talked before on the podcast about our responsibility to educate our students about what yoga really is and what its primary goals and benefits are. But before we can do that, we have to be accurately advertising our class. What that means is being really thoughtful when you choose a name for your class. And I know that sometimes you don't get to choose the name for yourself. I think that's a pity. I hope that studio owners want their teachers to have a strong voice and a clear message. And in order for those teachers to find the right students, they really need to be able to name their own classes. On the other hand, I understand the need for a studio owner to have a streamlined schedule and not, you know, 85 different class names on there because that's going to be a big burden on the management of the studio to explain what all those things mean to the students. If you choose a class name that's too freaky, it's probably not going to fly in most markets. Most people are not going to do the work of looking up what a Sanskrit word means. So unless you are specifically targeting people who are interested in Sanskrit or already know Sanskrit, it's probably best to keep the names of your classes in English, even if you do use Sanskrit in your classes. This is because the name of your class is generally the very first exposure that a student will get to what it's going to be like. And people just tend to shut down anything that they don't understand. They tend to skip over and move towards something that makes sense to them. A lot of the time, the class names that are the most successful are the ones that refer to the student or the problem that the class solves instead of what the class is like. So yoga for back care, yoga for athletes, yoga for stress relief. It's really easy for students to identify themselves in a class name like that. Yes, that's for me. In the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group, there was a thread recently where yoga teachers were sharing that they felt confused about the difference between hatha and vinyasa. Y'all, if teachers are confused, think about our poor students. I truly believe that the class name is one of the most important factors in getting people to give your class a shot. And not just any people, but the people who are going to want what you're offering. Any studio owners that are listening, I hope you will take note. Are your class descriptions clear to your target market? Is it crystal clear who should be signing up for which class just by scanning the schedule? Or are you making people dig into class descriptions to figure out which class is right for them? Having clear, accurate, and compelling class names is a win-win-win. It's a win for yoga studio owners, it's a win for yoga teachers, and it's a win for yoga students who are going to more easily find their way into the right class. If you're not sure how to name your class or you're not sure how to make your description more accurate, the first thing I would do is chat with the people who are coming back and find out why they like the class. 
listen to the exact words they use to describe it, and make sure that their experience of what the class is like lines up with how the class is being positioned or marketed. For example, you might think you are teaching a very basic, easy class, and everybody who comes is telling you, wow, that was really hard. I got a really good workout there. Maybe your definition of an easy class is different from the people who are coming. If you're really serious about building your classes and building your following, I recommend asking some of your most dedicated students to have tea or coffee with you after class one day to get them into a setting where they can offer you their perspectives and experiences without feeling rushed or observed. There's two main goals to a conversation like this. The first goal is to understand them a bit more so you can see if there's a pattern among your regular students. For example, you might learn that they're all retired, so your 10 a.m. Time, time slot works great for them. Knowing this, you can focus your marketing in places where other retired people spend their time. The second objective is to find out why they attend your class. And specifically, you want to find out what goals your classes helps them achieve and what problems your classes help them solve. For example, they may have the goal to become more flexible, or they may struggle with getting to sleep at night. Goals and challenges can overlap, and your students might have the goal to overcome a challenge. But basically, you want to ferret out what's the prime motivation for attending class. Is it something immediate, like I just feel so great after I leave? Is it medium distance, I sleep better at night? Or is it long-term distance, I want to be able to get up and down off the ground to play with my grandchildren? Once you've spoken to enough students, you'll start to see patterns and you can use this information to make class names, descriptions, and all your marketing crystal clear in order to attract more of the type of people who really dig your class, who already love what you're doing. There's one other way to look at this question of clarity about what you're teaching, and that's to ask yourself if you are clear on your message and your purpose for teaching. The more clarity you have about what you do and why you do it and who you do it for, the easier it's going to be for other people to identify whether or not your classes are right for them. If you try to be everything to everyone, you'll struggle so much more. To be fair, if you have a hard time identifying your vision, your mission, your purpose as a teacher, you're not alone. There's so much noise out there in the yoga world about what yoga should be and how to be a good teacher. If you're relatively new to teaching, it's difficult to sense beneath all the input from the outside into an inner truth. Yet that is yoga and that is what your students will resonate with. In the Yoga Sutras, there is a preference for lived experience as our primary guide for knowing. Sutra 1.7 outlines three main ways of knowing, sense perception, logic, and verbal testimony, also known as secondhand sense perception or logic from a reliable source. The thing is, when you're inundated by this verbal or written testimony in the form of social media, it's going to be way harder to work out your own perspectives and to trust your own sense perception. Learning from others is important but it's not the most important way of learning. 
in the sutras, lists are generally presented in order, either in order of step-by-step -step or in order of importance. So in this case, in this list of ways of knowing, sense perception is presented first because it's considered to be the most reliable form of knowing, logic being second and testimony or authority being third. If you haven't developed your own voice, then exposing yourself to a lot of other voices might confuse you more than it educates you. In the same way, if you go to a ton of other classes, but you don't have a consistent home practice, you are slowing your progress down when it comes to developing your capacity as a teacher with a unique voice and a clear message. By no means am I saying that you should not have teachers. Definitely get outside perspectives, but ask yourself, how much time are you spending listening to others versus practicing and listening internally? And are there some boundaries or some structures that you could set to prioritize your own inquiry around yoga instead of always wanting to absorb the knowledge from somebody else? It's a really easy trap to fall into because the culture we live in favors credentials over lived experience. But I know you've taken classes, workshops, and trainings from people with big credentials who don't embody what they teach and are actually more difficult to learn from. And also with people who might not have the same external validation, but who demonstrate what they're teaching so easily because it comes from their lived experience. Sure, it is wonderful to have both, but the lived experience part is less intuitive to us because we grew up in this external validation culture. So it tends to be the part that's most easily neglected. If students aren't coming back to your classes, recommit to your personal practice. Strengthen your personal relationship with the teachings from your lived experience. You can definitely do this under the guidance of a teacher if you have one, but the practice itself is yours. The inquiry is yours. So I know I gave you a lot of different things to think about and to consider if you're not getting as much repeat attendance in your classes as you'd like. Mostly, I hope that you can let go of needing to know why any specific individual doesn't return and instead focus on attracting the right people and helping them know that they're in the right place with a clear message. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for caring enough to continue your education as a yoga teacher. There are a whole bunch of vibrant conversations on these topics on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. It's really easy to join. Just go to teachingyoga.net slash join. And speaking of all the input, the sensory and opinion input I was talking about earlier, come back next week for a episode about controversy in the online yoga world and how to know who to trust when people seem to be saying opposite things with a lot of confidence. Have a great week. And as always, please remember to make time for your personal practice. Mm -hmm.